This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Howdy, folks. Welcome to another edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. I'm Carl Jorn, field agronomist for Northwest Indiana, and I am joined, as always, by my colleagues and co-hosts, Brian Trader and Ben Jacob. How are you, fellas? Very good this morning, Carl. Good to be here. Good, Carl. How are you? I'm doing well. We're here on uh, Dingus Day, Easter Monday. Um, happy Easter to all of you uh, that we're celebrating uh, this past weekend. We may be uh, dropping this edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy podcast a day early, just given the uh, the weather forecast that we have here. Been fielding a lot of questions as uh the seven-day outlook looks uh, nice and warm uh, as a change. We we had a pretty mild winter and then a pretty cool spring uh, to start things off, but we're finally getting back into the warmer climes. So uh, as we start entertaining some of these questions of, should I go to the field? Uh, what should I be doing in the field is maybe the question that we're, we're asking back to our growers who wanted to bring on Jason Geis uh, today to visit with us about uh, his thoughts on that matter. And uh, I'll also dive into some other questions here along the way. So, Jason, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. So, uh, Jason, just for folks uh, that maybe don't have as good of a memory, uh, remind those individuals where it is that you reside and uh, where, where do you work day in and day out for Pioneer? So, I live in Greensburg, Indiana, uh, cover the southeast part of the state. So, um, really, I, I cover from Greensburg south, uh, kind of follows the National Forest and state line down to the river. Very good. So we've got two thirds of the uh, agronomy contingent uh, down in southern Indiana represented today. So Brian and I, we're not quite outnumbered, but we're going to have to play man to man defense to ensure that you guys aren't telling everybody to get out there and start rolling. Um, so, Ben, Jason, since you are in the south, uh, you guys do get to accumulate some more GDUs a little more quickly than what we do up up uh, north of the Interstate 70 corridor. So uh, maybe share with uh, growers and, and advisors as they're listening to our conversation today. Gun to your head. What are we doing? It's it's April 10th. Uh, we've got a warm forecast. It looks relatively dry. Um, what do conditions look like in your guys neck of the woods as it stands today? I can I can jump in to start Jason and to do that to do that I want to rewind a year or almost a year and ask growers to think about think about planting conditions last year over you know the half dozen or a dozen three day planting windows we had um, and mm. then think about the outcome of those crops and you know Carl you mentioned it is it's April 10th right and we plant corn in April um, but it's still it's still early. We had we had some very good late May and very good June corn last year. You know, the 100, 120 days after it's in the ground are a whole lot more important than what happens what happens up to that. Um, so to answer your question about field conditions, it is it is wet still. I mean, we you know we're we're barely removed from a tornado right here, and a lot yeah, of rain definitely. with that, and rain rain following that up. So I would say. You know, let's let's be patient. I do think that fields are drying up enough, and and last week the the weeds, the purple and green, just exploded in many fields, and and we're to the point where that could potentially make tillage a little bit of an issue. 
So, you know, if you've got a sprayer with floaters, we're probably getting dry enough that you can get a, you can get across that and help yourself out later, get that stuff burnt down. Um, but the forecast as far as heat looks beautiful. So I would say let's let's start looking at field conditions. Go back to last year. Think about the outcome of, of your small planting windows and you know, try to keep that in the forefront as you decide, is this is this fit enough for me to go drag an iron through just yet? might add to that jason yep yep i would echo the exact same thing ben um i mean we're finally as of probably oh over the weekend just started kind of graying off on top um but you know i've been eager to i've been eager to put some potatoes in my garden uh so that's kind of my first gauge and you know it, it, you don't have to go down very far uh, to find complete mud so you know i think that's i think that's the important thing um, waiting until conditions are right, but you're, you guys are exactly right. You know, I, I updated my GDU forecast this morning and, you know, I, I've been in this role. This is going on my third season. I haven't had a GDU forecast like this uh, the second week of April, the last two seasons. So um, it, it definitely is very favorable, but we don't want to get out there and create season long problems by creating compaction. But I, I there's think a lot that's... of. That's well summarized, Jason. I mean, it's it's one of those where it's very rare to see a forecast uh, as fit for getting stuff done. Um, but like you guys have both touched on, we have to remind ourselves just because the outlook is good doesn't mean the field conditions to get those activities tended to are good. Uh, Brian, curious, uh, you know, Jason and Ben say they're wet where they are. Uh, how are things looking in, in your neck of the woods? It's very similar. Uh, we have been much wetter, I think, than folks realized. Um, because of those rains, Ben, that you talked about, those storms that came through, they dumped a considerable amount of rain in some spots. I think one of the other things I will mention, though, is I think it's no secret folks are going to aim to go to the field sometime this week, you know, whether it's midweek or the latter part of the week, whatever the situation is. Uh, for you and I, Carl, there is a chance of some rain on Saturday and Sunday mm -hmm. of ne of this week. What is encouraging to me though is those appear to be because of the temperature warm rain and so in a lot of cases we're nervous about this time frame for planting because you get it in the ground then we get a very cold rain and you've got concerns about you know imbibing cool water and what that does to the plant and it gets off to a poor start and i'm encouraged with the long range forecast on temperature at least for the next couple of weeks, the temperatures really don't get that low uh, too bad. And so I'm I'm encouraged that if we do end up getting to the field, if conditions are right, and Ben and Jason are absolutely correct for me, we've got to wait till the conditions are fit. But when we do go, I'm encouraged by what we could have for a start to Jason's point about the accumulation of GDUs uh, this early in the year. So we, we've still got a ways to go, I think, to be fit here. On the eastern side of the state there'll be folks going uh probably i would say in this closer to indianapolis in that area down there i would say potentially tuesday wednesday as you move further north on the eastern side of the state i think wednesday thursday friday if you know probably be big days for us good deal uh brief update from the northwest section of the state we're, we're similar situation as you all you know we're we're drying off uh we're not we're not dried off at this point there are some sands up in my 
area of the world that, you know, we're not too far away from being fit for field work. But um, and I know there's some folks that are out there right now that are getting stuff done and perhaps in their, you know, specific neighborhood, they've they've had, um, you know, a little less rainfall and they've dried off a little bit more. Uh, but just I think, Jason, you, you had mentioned it, you know, let's let's make sure that we're not, uh, uh, you know, lending the season to a very challenging start with compacted conditions. Uh, it's rare to get a window this, what looks this beautiful early in the, you know, ideal planting scenario, but um, right away, all that, all that good potential goes out the window the moment that we start, uh, you know, compacting, uh, whether that's sidewall compaction or, you know, creating a layer underneath. If we're working ground a little bit early, uh, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot that we can, um, there's a lot of challenges that we can be creating uh, by trying to get out there a day earlier than what we ought to be. So I think that's one thing just to be be cognizant of as, as folks are listening to us today. Ben, your your thoughts, any additions to this? Yeah, I would I would just add that, you know, last fall we had really the first time since at least 2017 down here. We had a mm -hmm. good fall for fall field work, um, a lot of ground ripped. And if you think about the fall of 2018 the spring of 2019 all the yeah. issues that we were we were really forced to cause in the field just to get across them because of because of weather challenges and how long it took us to get an opportunity to fix those again and you know have to deal with them for five years places before we can get in there and and even try to make things right again um, with some of the more extreme weather patterns that, that we've been seeing recently we don't know when we'll get a chance again to to fix any issues that we might cause. So, you know, that, that compaction, it, it's really easy to create. It's really hard to get rid of and, and it can stick around for years and years. So, you know, I just, as we set here uh, on April 10th, again, just encourage, encourage patients and to think about the impact of, of what we're doing as we go to the field. Well, and so, to that point, Ben, there's not an operation that you do that doesn't pose at least some level of risk for compaction if conditions are poor. And what I mean by that is a lot of times you'll have a conversation with someone and they'll say, well, I know it's not fit enough to plant, but they've got some other operation that they feel like they can do. You know, Jason mentioned sprayers with floaters a little bit ago. That's a great thing, or maybe you did Ben, but one of you guys did, but you know, Pre-plant ammonia, if it's not fit to plant, you shouldn't be pulling the, the bar through. It's not fit enough to put your ammonia on if it's not fit enough to plant. You know, you can't do vertical tillage just because you're not disturbing. You, you're, you potentially are putting some kind of compaction layer in no matter what operation you do. And so I'm not telling folks not to do those things but be cognizant of the fact that there is going to potentially be a negative impact if conditions aren't right, regardless of the operation. Uh, and there, there is an order of operations too. You know, that's, that's one thing that we, we have to be careful of not getting the cart before the horse here. You know, we, we uh, ran into this situation last year in my area where, uh, you know, instead of the planter chasing the sprayer, we got into a lot of situations where 
planter was rolling first and the sprayer was trying to catch up and we had some nice emergence conditions once we got to the middle of may and we had beans cracking through in just a matter of a handful of days and unfortunately once we do that we lose a lot of tools in the toolbox so same same deal on ammonia uh brian you know i think this weekend in my area uh the northwest corner of the state i think we're going to see a lot of anhydrous going on uh same deal we can't get your corn planted you know till the till the gas is put on and so just making sure that we're 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 taking care of things in the right order although it's easy to get excited about you know what this week of weather holds we, we got to make sure that we we put everything in, in the order that it needs to get done uh, i say that um, i'm going to be the devil's advocate here maybe somebody speak to uh, you know you guys tell me all the time about how uh after your first observable planting date on soybeans you're probably losing three tenths of a bushel every day that goes by i would argue we're getting close to when where you could observe a planting date in the state of indiana so we're leaving some yield potential on the table uh, it's not uncommon for us to say hey beans are a little bit tougher than corn you don't need that even stand you know can a guy get away with um you know seeding stuff and maybe tackier conditions uh than what we might need as the corn planter runs through what uh what thoughts would you have for a grower that's that's maybe uh you know having those thoughts run through their mind uh here as we sit on the on the 10th of april so that's that's a question carl that comes up comes up frequently and we do say and i mean i spent basically every winter meeting as we talked about, you know, planting date response. And, you know, if you're, if conditions are marginal uh, from a heat standpoint, the soybeans are probably a little bit more tolerant. We can tolerate a little bit more stand loss, um, you know, and it, it really comes down to what you, what you want the outcome to be. And, and it's also understandably, let, let, let's be honest, it's a question of logistics, right? Fit is not always fit for, for everybody just because the acreage that they Very have true. to cover with the equipment that they have. Um, so I am in the camp that if conditions are, let's say marginal and you feel that you have to be in the field, you're better off doing that with soybeans than you are at corn. Uh, if we if we have to make that distinction, of course we want everything to be ideal. Um, I I've done this since 2018. I haven't seen a spring with ideal conditions when we want them to be ideal, right? Yeah. So so maybe we look at the field and say, okay, is this field is this field 80% fit? Is it 90% fit? Right? As we go across and look at what, because nothing's uniform down here. I know up where you are, Carl, everything's pancake flat and it all dries <laughs> off the same day. But but Jason and I are going to have a little bit more struggles down here with having an entire field uniform. So you you may have to make that call depending on depending on what your logistics are. Um, mm -hmm. And beans, beans are going to tolerate it better. That does not mean they're impervious to it. Right. The impacts of compaction will affect beans just like they'll affect corn. It's just that system is a little bit more resilient to it. But I have lost count of the number of times that I've went on a service call for, say, lodged beans, and I see two inches down that taproot make a 90-degree turn on the beans where it's hit a compaction it. layer. Okay, so if we think about the weather that we've had in the past, I feel pretty confident that at some point this summer we're going to see a period of drought. And if we've done something to impact rooting depth, that's going to negatively impact the performance of that crop. Um, so, yes, if you have to make the distinction, 
go to the field with beans. Right? If it's if it's marginal or just a little just a little wet or whatever whatever term you want to use for not being quite right. Um, yeah, if you have to have something out there, beans are probably a safer bet, but they're, they're still going to be impacted as well. So it comes down to logistics to me, right? So anybody else just to jump in? And I, I think, uh, you know, what, what field conditions look like on April 10th versus June 10th are, you know, it's a totally different story. We've got a lot of planting season to go um, so we can pick our spots. Uh, I understand and appreciate, you know, a grower maybe sitting on the other side of this conversation and saying, how often do I get a full week window where things are, you know, forecasted to be dry and forecast to be warm? Um, you know, this seems like maybe one of the less risky times for me to go about putting the crop in the ground. And since we we struggle with forecasting the weather anyway, how often you get a window like this? I, I can I can appreciate and understand the angst there. Um, I, I think Jason's spoke to, you know, some of the tools we try to use to uh, navigate that conversation, like forecasting out the GDUs that will accumulate. Um, and up here in Northwest Indiana, it's going to take two weeks for the crop to get out of the ground um, for us to get enough to emerge. And that's with a warm week ahead and then being in the 60s and 40s, you know, for the rest of the, you know, that two week stretch in my area. So um, you think about if the crop does get out of the ground in two weeks, uh, we're leading right up to that that last spring freeze date. And so uh, corn, no issues there, right? But beans, uh, if we're kind of in that that crook stage as the as the soybeans are trying to pull the cotyledons out of the ground, uh, they're super vulnerable then and there's there's no coming back. So um, as growers are trying to make that decision of whether or not to stick something in the ground this week, uh, my my guidance would be let's take care of all the other operations that need to get done this spring. And if we still have time on the table, sure, maybe let's scratch in a few acres uh, of soybeans, a field or two. Let's not, you know, it, it's like anything. It's risk mitigation. You don't want to let this planting window go by and not take advantage of it. OK, well, let's we'll roll the dice and we'll put a field out there. Could be our best beans, could be our worst beans based on how Mother Nature is going to give us our rainfall this year. But we won't know if we don't try. And so I just advocate for uh, Brian. You said it before we got going here. Patience is is the key to this decision. Just because we got a seventy degree forecast doesn't mean we have to get seventy percent of our acres taken care of this week. Yeah. If we can revisit the uh, the soybean planting date discussion, Carl. Yeah. Those of you that um, you know have looked through our agronomy research summaries or read any of the agronomy updates, you know we we look at the factors. Uh, for high yielding beans for 100 bushel beans in this case and you know Jason and I have been doing some work around that here this winter and we do preach planting date on soybeans get them out early get them out early um, but if you look at all the 100 bushel ways that we have it's not necessarily the earliest planting dates where where that performance is most densely cl clustered um, most of those ways I believe are from April 20th to May 10th. Jason can correct mm -hmm. me if I if I missed that. Now you can ask yourself why is that just because that's the the highest density of planting dates or is there something happening in those earlier planting dates where they're seeing more stress, experiencing sand loss, stand loss that kind of takes the the top end off of them. And it's it's probably both. Um, but I don't know 
of a single grower I work with that would be unhappy with 100 bushel soybeans. And, you know, if we still have a really dense cluster of those from April 20th to May 10th and and say that that's, that's the threshold and we're losing a, a touch every day, we still have a ton of time to have really good beans, right? So, you know, just just another way to say that you know, patience patience is a virtue, right? Let's let's not push things just the just because we're at a calendar date. The day on the calendar should not should not dictate planting um, field conditions and outlook should. Absolutely. Um, if am I remembering right? Was were we sitting here April first week of April 2021 with a similar opportunity? And we had a fair amount of soybeans get planted, even up, even up my neck of the woods, you know, getting up by Lake and Porter County. We had a lot of a lot of beans go out. And um, uh, that was the year of bad seedling corn maggot. Um, and, uh, you know, we haven't touched on seed treatments a whole lot here, but Jason is our resident seed treatment expert. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, the best in the industry usually doesn't give you much more than a few weeks, um, especially when put in adverse conditions. So back to this whole concept of GDU forecasting, if the seed's just going to sit there, um, well, know that we're, we're eventually going to run out of steam in terms of protection. And if we do that, then those seeds are, are laying vulnerable. Uh, as the stand is attempting to get established and if we start flying you know south of 70,000 plants per acre uh, all of a sudden we're we're in a replant situation on soybeans and so those are those are some of the things to consider you know it's not just the risk of, of frosting off those beans uh, but also the pests that you you plant yourself into with an earlier planting window yeah you're absolutely right Carl um I don't know. I normally think about three to four weeks as kind of a good window of protection. Um, sometimes you got might get longer than that. Sometimes maybe less. But you know, like you, said, the key is to get that plant up and established. And uh, yeah, I mean, you want to be want to be switching over to your root system uh, as soon as you can. So right. Right. And it's, we, you know, there's, there's value to getting those beans out early. We, we, we've beat that, that horse dead several times now. Um, but the risk that you stand to impose on that field, either because of the conditions, because of the risk of frost, because of the pests that, that, you know, may be taking it down. It doesn't have to be bean leaf beetle or seedling corn maggot. It could be Pythium, Phytophthora, Rhizoctonia. I mean, there's, there's a lot that, um, I guess we're playing defense against and the slower the plant is growing and emerging the you know the weaker it is the harder it is to fight off all those pests and pathogens uh, so getting that plant well established i would encourage growers that they're entertaining this planting window uh strongly consider boosting that seeding rate 10 20 percent over what your normal is uh, i don't know if that's getting too thick for you all down south but for my growers they're in 21 we had a lot of stands that came in right at 60,000, and if we had another you know 10 20,000 more plants per acre i would have I, we would have been making different decisions than than what we were forced to do so a consideration as we're evaluating uh you know this this april planning window that's that's availing itself brian one thing that you touched on um we're talking an awful lot about about soybeans here, um, but imbibitional chilling was something that you had mentioned. Um, and I usually think about that with respect to corn, but maybe for those folks that uh, hear us talk about the the first drink of water that a seed takes in, what, what we want it to look like and how it uh, can challenge the plant uh, if it's not a, a warm one, uh, may, maybe walk 
folks through kind of what you look at and its impact on the on the seed and its viability. Yeah, it, I guess where I would start is, you know, we plan that we're hoping for good conditions, let's say roughly 48, 72 hours post planting. If we don't end up with those good conditions and what I would describe as good conditions is what we've already talked about in terms of nice planting conditions, those kind of things. But let's say, as an example, we have a storm come through, the temperature drops either with the storm or shortly thereafter, essentially chilling the water that just came down in the precipitation. So that seed then takes up that water and it's that chilled water. And the way I like to describe this to people is if it's 55 degrees outside air temperature, we're all out in our t-shirts walking around. Maybe even folks are in shorts. On the other hand, if I have a tub of 55 degree water and I say jump in, <laughs> we all know what our body does, the reaction that we have to that. And in some respects, the corn plant uh, and to a lesser degree soybeans, but I, there is an impact there occasionally on soybeans. That causes a lot of issues um, with hormonal control and some other things in the corn plant. And so uh, what we will oftentimes see is both delayed emergence because typically when the temperature goes down to Jason's point, we're not accumulating as many growing degree units. So it takes more days to get the seed out of the ground, opens us up to all the pest problems you just mentioned and things like that. But the other issue that you'll oftentimes have with that is because it's such a shock to the plant system, you'll see corkscrewing, you'll see leaf unfurling underground. Um, and the other thing I will say, and probably uh, the soil scientists that we know will cringe when I say this, but my own personal experience has been in eastern Indiana, that when we have those cool conditions, crusting becomes a significant issue for us and our soil types when we get cool and wet like that. And then when it heats up again, it essentially has turned into what one of our colleagues often calls low grade concrete. And so I see that, so that you've got a weakened plant, you've got a harder crust, emergence becomes much more of an issue. And then we're almost always into a replant situation unless we get something else, but, uh, or another rain. I, I think the biggest thing for folks to keep in mind is that when you go to plant your corn, you really do need to look at the forecast 24, 48, 72 hours post planting to see what's going on. Uh, with larger equipment, I'll add this, as customers have gotten larger equipment, I find that there are some customers that are more willing to set and wait until a front goes through to see what conditions are than what I did early in my career. And we all have seen those issues, you know, corkscrewing, crusting, all the things that come from that. And so that's really what we're talking about when we talk about this chilling effect. Um, we had a colleague several years ago by the name of Ahmad Saab who did what I would be consider just excellent work on this particular topic. Some of those publications are still floating around pioneer.com and other places. And this is what Ahmad did was looked at this chilling effect in the what happens. There was some excellent photographs that he took uh, from the microscope to show some of these things. Ben, that may have been going on when you were in research uh, at Windfall. I don't know if you got 
hold into any of that or not, but that was excellent work. And it just, it talks about the science of that. And so, you know, if you're really interested in what happens, I would point you toward pioneer.com and look up some of that chilling injury work, I think is how you'll find it. Yeah, I was not personally involved in, in, in that in any way. Um, but I do, I do think we could define a little bit, you know, the, the chilling injury you mentioned cold water and I might've missed it, Brian, if you said it, but typically we've thought of that as, as 50 degrees. And if that Correct. seat and yeah. counter seat water below 50 degrees, um, I personally think with some of our genetics where we have really good emergence scores, um, and with our seed treatment, that that number is probably, probably lower, um, and some of the observations we've seen the past couple of years. But the other thing that can happen is, let's say you do plant on one of these 70 degree days and we have that cold front and rain come through, even if it doesn't get down below 50, let's say it's 75, the soil's hot and you get um, a 50 degree rain on top of it, that big swing in temperature from where that seed's beginning to imbibe almost 80 degree, 75, 80 degree water in the soil swinging down to where it gets a shot of 50 degree water, even though you're not below that, you know, what we typically thought of the threshold, that big switch and temperatures can have the same effect um, at a, at a warmer, a warmer soil temperature. So it, to your point, it is important to keep in mind the, the forecast. And if we do see a cool rain coming in the, in the forecast, understanding the impact that that could have um, with the large equipment that you mentioned, we can put a lot of corn in the ground ahead of a system like that um, that may cause may cause issues for us going forward yeah and that's that's part of why we we like the idea of multiple planting windows you know not all of your easter eggs in one basket um you know if we if we dribble it out a little bit here a little bit there you know we kind of diversify our risk we we give ourselves the opportunity to take advantage or not be impacted by different weather patterns and so um stand to lose some stand to gain some through that um you know methodology but i think we'd all subscribe to that theory that uh slamming all of our acres in here the the second week of april maybe makes us a tad bit nervous uh and that's not speaking as your pioneer agronomist that's speaking as your uh your agronomist uh i think we'd we'd all subscribe to the idea that uh you're probably going to see pioneer weather those challenging conditions better than a lot of other seed brands in the industry part of that's based on you know us investing a little bit more in terms of what your seed treatment looks like uh with the different modes of action we have against all these different uh pathogens and pests um, but then also the genetic component that Ben spoke to and how we produce the seed. Um, we've been able to identify a couple ways uh, to, you know, manipulate uh, how successful a seed is establishing uh, in those more adverse, colder conditions than what we had 10 years ago. And so, um, you know, all this is as good uh, certified crop advisors. We're trying to be here. Uh, you know, in terms of best practices, but but don't don't let that be uh, construed as as we're afraid of your pioneer uh, corner beans going in the ground versus other providers. We 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 feel as though um, you know we we'd probably stand to, to look a little bit prettier in that situation, but a little bit prettier doesn't mean that it's going to be great. And we want to make sure that your crop gets off to a great start this year. And that that was the purpose behind our uh, our first of what could be many. Uh, you know, should I plant? this week type of conversations that we'll be having over the course of the spring and uh and yeah if there's anything we didn't 
tap into as you listen to this conversation that you would like us to please uh, give us some feedback because um, we we want to make sure we cover all of our bases when it comes to you know getting this crop off to the best start so with that uh fellas anything else for the good of the cause i i have one i have one more carl we said several times probably 100 times when conditions are fit from a moisture standpoint um how do you know that when you go to the field what's what's that look like to you what are what are fit field conditions yeah that's a great one jason do you want to do you want to take that i i know i'm over here i'm a ribbon man but i don't know if you like to wadgers up into a ball but but maybe maybe tell folks how you do things in southeast indiana yeah i mean it's a it's a similar thing probably one thing i always did and i think i learned this gosh maybe even back back from my grandpa or somebody, if you can make a ball and throw it up and catch it and it stays a ball, you know, it doesn't change form whatsoever. You know that that's way too heavy. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The ribbon test is always a good place to start. Yeah, I would, um, I would add, I would add to the ribbon test that I, I don't know. I don't know of many operations that do this, but, but they should, it's a really, really simple way. If, when you pull into a field, you do your ribbon test, you chuck your ball of dirt, whatever, whatever your method is, um, you know, roll your kids around and see if they brush off. <laughs> when you, when you pull in, keep a chain, you know, a small chain or a ratchet strap and just lift up a set of closing wheels. You know, you can hook that and tie it up, tie it up on the seed unit and drive for 20, 40, 80 feet, whatever it is, and get out and look at that seed trench. Okay. If the sides of that are slick and shiny, that's that that is compaction that's going to lead to hatchet tomahawk roots whatever you want to call them um and the other thing you can do with that is you can check to see if your down pressure and everything is set up if the side of that if the side of that seed trench is collapsing back in on itself you know you can adjust your planter settings to fit field conditions even if you aren't even if you aren't causing compaction it's a really quick really good exercise to make sure that that the whole system not just compaction but the whole system is right for the planting conditions that you have um, good uh good practical call out there ben thanks for thanks for adding that uh so fellas if folks want to give us some feedback on uh, if they think we're full of baloney they're going to go out and you know put a lot of work in this week and get a lot of seed in the ground and and tell us uh told you so here come harvest uh where may they reach out and do so jason we'll start with you Excuse me. I'm most active on Facebook at Jason Geist Agronomy. Good deal. And Ben, moving north. If you can find me um, for probably the most common arguments in any year is you said not to plant and I planted anyway and it turned out great. You can find me to rub my face in that at the Ben Jacob on Twitter and at Ben Jacob Agronomy on Facebook. Thank Mr. you, Ben. Schrader. Yep, you can find me on Instagram, B underscore K underscore Schrader. And Carl, how about you? Yep, to stay tuned for the weekly GDU forecast, uh, follow along on Twitter at CJORN, that's C-J-O-E-R-N, or on Facebook at CJORN Agronomy. With that, uh, we wish you all the best of luck as you are making these decisions of what to do, when to get in the field, what to do when you get there. Um, please stay close to your your uh, you know trusted advisors. Uh, I hope you consider your pioneer sales professional, one of those individuals that can speak to things locally on what's 
seems to be working and what what may not be. Uh, we're one of many folks that uh, support you and your efforts in the field, and we hope you have a great start to your, uh, your spring field work season. So until next time, thanks for listening to this edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.